What up, cultists? This is Brendan Carrion from Full Metal RPG. You might be thinking to yourself, I'd really love to go down and play Dead Zone for the summer campaign at Games U on Thursdays with Full Metal RPG. The whole crew is going to be down there playing Dead Zone. But I don't have any models. How do I get a hold of some models? How do I get involved in Dead Zone? Well, Pat at Mantic, Mantic Entertainment, have hooked us up. We have a brand new, never been used, Veer Men faction starter. That's 21 Veer Men models. Veer Men are like rat men from space. They're freaking sick. They're one of the coolest factions in all of Dead Zone. I love the models, I love the flavor. Uh, we have this we have this brand new faction ready to go for you, one of our Phoenix listeners, so that you can come out, you can play Dead Zone with us. So go on our Facebook, go on our Instagram, check out the ways to win, and then get at us so that we can get you your prizes. You can come down, play Dead Zone with us starting Thursday, August twenty third, five PM, Games U in Gilbert, Arizona. Alright, thanks a lot. Here's the show. Welcome back to an all-new bonus episode of Full Mail RPG. I'm your host, Brennan Carrion. Today, we've got a very special show. We're joined by Pat Lewis from Mantic Games. He's the North American Community Director for Mantic, and uh, he's been very gracious to stop by and talk to us about some of the initiatives that Mantic has going this summer and maybe a little bit beyond if we're very lucky. Um, as you guys may all know, this is a role-playing oriented show, and uh, Mantic kind of specializes in miniatures and miniature-based games, but I promise I'm going to make it relevant to that as well, so uh, stick around, take a listen, and maybe you'll en- enjoy some learning about a new miniatures game that you could play with your friends. All right, so without any further ado, Pat, what up? How you doing, Brendan? Oh, man, I'm doing well. It's so good to have you on. Thank, thank you so much for making the time to come on. I appreciate you. No worries, man. I, I'm always uh, always willing to come on to a, a podcaster that wants to talk about Mantic and what we do and you know, and just generally generate the excitement for us. Well, I have noticed that Mantic is like incredibly uh, just kind of out there in how they want to engage with the community and how open and willing and helpful they are. So um, this is definitely like like sort of like the fruit of us talking, and we'll kind of like get to what we've been talking about here in just a minute. But uh, before we get any too much further, uh, do you want to take a second and kind of introduce yourself to the to the audience here? Maybe tell us a little bit about like where you're coming from in terms of gaming and like what games you used to play, have played, and kind of like what you're playing now. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I'm a, you know, as Brendan said, I'm Pat Lewis. I'm uh, the community manager for North America for Manta Games. Uh, I primarily started gaming, oh, God, probably in the sixth grade. And uh, back in a time when uh, there was before cable. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so I started with the actual red box D&D that came with the light blue dice that you had to, and it came with a crayon so you can color in the numbers. Uh, and what is it? Keep on the Borderlands was the module. Uh, and just started up with that with D and D. Me and my cousins and my friends used to play all the way up into uh, pretty much up until college. And then I just kind of moved. And then from there, I met a guy. It was all role playing games uh, up until college. Then I met a guy who brought a, a space marine in and was painting <laughs> it. And I was like, "What is that thing?" He goes, it's a space man. I go, what is? What, what do you do with that? I mean, do you, you play in DD because my only limit, my only exposure to miniatures at that point was still the Ralph Partha metal minis that we painted and played with D and D. You know, at the time, yeah. for big graph paper, it was still small graph paper, so you just had the figure in front of you, like yeah, this is what I look like, yeah, and this is what the <laughs> monster looks like when you're fighting it. It's before you, we had giant vinyl maps that you can draw on and represent a whole room and everything, so. Uh, but then those were good times. Yeah, it I was a great say. time. No, no, it, it it's so nostalgic. Like even to the point now where I'm on eBay trying to buy those old raw Partha sets. Awesome. Do you still uh, role play? I do actually. Yeah, I play. 
I play a lot of Shadowrun now, and uh, we've been messing around with some Starfinder. Oh, that is awesome, man. I'm really, uh, dude, I'm really happy to hear that. That is, that is freaking killer. Yeah, so, uh, but I run, I run the whole gambit. I went D&D, then we did some Call of Cthulhu, then we did some Vampire slash Werewolf. Uh, then I moved on to Shadowrun. I mean, back in the day, my group, we played five, roughly five different role-playing games because each one of us took a role-playing game. And that was the game we would GM, and then we would just play in the other ones. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, what the Grognard Files guys call the Prime Directive. Yeah, where it's like you're not allowed to run the game that I run, right? It was like it's like part of your identity, right? Yeah. So I mean, that was great though because then it exposed us to a lot of other different RPGs, and you know, and it never got too. Too stagnant, you know. You always had a break. So then, when you came back to your, say, your vampire uh, campaign, you're like, "Yeah, okay, I'm excited now. I had a little break. I'm ready. I've been thinking about what I can do now." Uh, especially if you're one of those venture players, you're trying to figure ways <laughs> to manipulate everyone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I I got into um, miniatures gaming in college as well. So that's where you kind of like made that jump. Yeah, and so he, like I said, he was paying a space marine. I was like, "Oh, what is that thing?" And then so he showed me uh, a couple of Space Marine and a couple of Orcs, and that's kind of where I fell in love with the Orcs. And then we played a little game called, literally, Space Marine, and here we go, uh, which was my prelude into 40K. Uh, at the time, 40K was in its second edition, so I, I was knee-deep in the second edition by the time uh, I was immersed into wargaming. And then, uh, let's see, from there, you know, just kind of just kind of splinters, you know. Uh, I like to call, some of my group is kind of, we got like the ADD of gaming. You know, the next shiny thing grabs someone's attention and that's what we play. Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting to the, that you say that. Is that how you have always been with your miniatures gaming? Because I, I found that in my group it was like, when we made that conversion over to the Games Workshop games... That's just all we did. And we considered anything that wasn't that, like, oh, that's not really a miniatures game. Like, we can't even be bothered. Yeah. No, I mean, we didn't have that kind of attitude as far as miniature gaming was concerned. I mean, we always uh, were open-minded. I think is what as long as everyone was having fun at the game that someone had chose to bring in, um, we were okay with it. In that sense, uh, that that being said, I think the only place where we got a little snotty was the was the clicks games. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, you guys wouldn't do the clicks games. It's not that we wouldn't do the clicks game. I just don't think we invested a lot. So if someone wanted, mm. if you, so the guy that wanted to play clicks, he'd have to pretty much bring almost everything. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Yeah, and then so and it wasn't even the it was the, the fantasy ones we didn't get into because you know at that point I was just like. Uh, I don't know, uh, but I think when when they brought in this the hero the hero clicks is kind of where I kind of broke down a little bit and then somewhat even to the the battle tech or mech warrior clicks. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a definitely a thing in the area I was playing in as well. Um, so what what are you playing these days in terms of miniatures games? Uh, in terms of miniature games, I am playing a lot of Dead Zone again. Uh, Dead Zone, uh, as far as Manti games are concerned, was probably my first first love. Dead Zone and Dreadball. Uh, okay. I do dabble in some Kings War. Uh, I have two Kings War armies, but I'm um, you know still primarily a sci-fi guy. And just just so we can kind of you know parse each other out here and understand each other, what is your favorite Dead Zone faction? Oh, orcs. Orcs, so yeah. you're marauders. Oh yeah, marauder guy. Okay, uh, great. I had a hand in in the way that, in the direction they went, so I'm very proud to be a marauder player. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna uh, make a little note because I want to come back to that. Sure. Um. Uh, so, go ahead. Also, I play a little bit of Blood and Plunder because who doesn't like ships and pirates and buccaneers and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I saw that at the game store, and I thought that if I could get some friends to play that with me, um, I would definitely pick it up. But at this point, I think I'm spending all the like, uh, like uh, goodwill that I have getting everybody into Mantic, sure. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's a trade I'm gonna have to make. Yeah, it's it's a good game. I'll, I will say that I enjoy it. Mike Tunes, who is the creator of the thing, is a very good guy. 
and I've also been playing a little bit of Test to Honor, which is a samurai game. Oh, interesting. I've seen that one around. Is that pretty good? It's pretty fun. Uh, it's a nice little change of mechanics where you're drawing your activation tokens out of a bag, and the more activation tokens you get in the bag, the more chances you have of activating all your units at first. So it's kind of a, a random activation in that sense, but it, it throws a nice little mechanic in there. So, Are you familiar with a game from uh, Anvil 8 Games called Ethereum? Yes. Um. I just discovered this game at uh, at Gen Con, and like I gotta say, I'm like kind of bonkers for the for the presentation. <laughs> like, yeah, they they have the, a, they they were at Adepticon, and they, uh, it was a pretty solid game from what I saw. There was a nice uh, nice reception for it from everyone there. Nice, nice. Um, so. All right, now that we're, we're kind of like all pretty intimately familiar with each other here now as like gamers, I feel like, you know, we know a lot about each other. Why don't you kind of tell our listeners about Mantic and kind of like maybe whatever you feel is interesting about the history of that, that company and kind of like where it stands and what it stands for. Sure. Well, Mantic was founded on as originally as a miniature game. Uh, Ronnie Renton, who you met at Open Night at Gen Con, uh, worked for GW for the longest time. Uh, was up up in the up in the table uh, before he left, um, and then started Mantic with the idea of making affordable minis so everyone can play. Uh, so that was the basis of Mantic. So Ronnie started out with a bunch of elves which were okay, and people still don't like the elf line. Uh, but then we moved. he moved into an undead line, which then everyone loved, and that kind of is where Mantic started to take off. Uh, people were buying the zombies and things like that. Uh, the zombies and the ghouls uh, and the skeletons, and then at one point someone goes, uh, well, this is great, uh, Kings of War, these zombies are awesome, but, you know, where's your game? And Ronnie said, well, you know, at the time, this is before uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles uh, disappeared. And so Ronnie said, well, no, we just make miniatures, you know. But the guy goes, well, shouldn't you have a game? And we're like, uh, I guess. So, and then we got <laughs> with uh, Alessio, because Ronnie didn't really start the company with the idea of making a game. He just wanted to make the miniatures. Oh, that is, okay, that's amazing to me. Go on, I'm sorry. Yeah, and then so after about a year or two, because um, I met Ronnie pretty much year two of his company, and I've been friends with him since. Uh, so around year two is when people started, you know, where's your game? You know, it's Kings of War. This is a game. Where's the game? Blah, blah, blah. So then Ronnie got with Alessio, who wrote Kings of War at the time. And at the first version of Kings of War, you know, uh, Alessio wrote, he was like, this is the version of Warhammer I wanted to write that I wasn't allowed to write. Uh, so then we put the rules up for uh, download online, you know, free game. All right, you want the rules? Here's the rules for the game. Have at it. And then, you know, we still go to Gen Con. We go to Adepticon, and people are like, well, where's the rule book for your game? Well, it's online. You can just download it. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have a rule book yet? We're like, no, they're online. <laughs> they're free. Just download them. Uh, and then that led us into our first Kickstarter because now so many people asked for rule book it. We decided to put together a, a, a prim and proper rulebook and got us our first Kickstarter to launch more armies and to get the book out. Wow. So, I mean, this just really did come from kind of like a grassroots sort of thing. I mean, there was never like an intentionality to begin this kind of overarching thing that you're starting to see now with Mantic. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it's, it's, we've come, you know, Ronnie in itself has come a long way because then from Kings of War, then we released. Uh, uh, we had intentions of releasing Warpath, which was a science fiction version. Uh, and we put that out, and uh, that did not... Ronnie was never happy with the rules, so at some point we just kind of put it on the back burner and even kind of so much didn't make the figs as much anymore, This the first edition versions of Warpath. Uh, so while we were put that on the back burner and we're thinking about what to do with it, I think we went into Dreadball. I think it was Dreadball. And Dreadball was a, a brainchild of Ronnie's after I took him to play a game of Whirly Ball in Chicago. And I don't know if you've ever been, seen Whirly Ball. 
I have no idea what Whirly Ball is. So is Whirly that? Ball is a Chicago thing. I've seen it only one time outside of Chicago in Seattle. Uh, but basically Whirly Ball is, if you think about uh, lacrosse and basketball combined with uh, while riding in a bumper car. <laughs> okay, okay. That's exactly I, what it I, is. You ride around on the bumper car, you got one of those wiffle ball little throwers and a wiffle ball, and then you try and throw it through a small hole in a, at about the height of a basketball backboard. But you're in a car. You're, you're in a, a bumper little, car, yeah. You're in a bumper car. Wow, oh, that does sound fun. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. That sounds great. So then uh, with that, Ronnie kind of thought of a, of a game called Dreadball, which we put out, and it was a very successful Kickstarter. Uh, unfortunately for us, it kickstarted so well and we kickstarted so many teams. We kickstarted 25 teams. Uh, and in the process of trying to get all those books out, we got uh, into a little bit of trouble with the, uh, I guess you want to call it the codex creep is the, is the uh, for the lack of a better term, you know. As sure. each season come out, those teams are a little bit better than the rest. And the next thing you know, the season one teams weren't as good as the season five teams anymore. So uh, at that point, then we put the brakes on that. And we redid the rules, did a version two, and kickstarted that again. And uh, this is where we currently are with Dreadball now, version two. And uh, for all intents and purposes, I think everyone is very much happy with the way it is now. Because at this point, um, Kings of War, Dreadball, and the Warpath Universe games are all on their second editions. Am I right? Yes. And one of the things that I've noticed as I have been exploring Mantic is how crisp and how tight those rule sets are. I mean, um, I have some friends, they do a podcast, it's called Dungeon Punks, and it's from the UK. And uh, they speak very highly of Mantic, and Mantic does prize support for some of the events that they do. And so... um, one day I was at my job and I work with a bunch of war gamers and it was right after uh, Big Fac 1 came out for 40k uh-huh. and and I was like really cheesed. I was like really cheesed in the way that Warhammer players get cheesed and I was like I don't know why I keep playing this game. I don't know why I keep <laughs> having this relationship with this game where it's like I buy all these models and then they piss me off. And as I was thinking this, I was listening to Dungeon Punks and they said, "Oh, you know, you should be looking at these Mantic games. Those are such good guys. They make these good games. You should take a look at them. I thought, well, what the hell? I will. And Warpath, man, I picked up Warpath 2nd Edition. It's a great game. That's an absolutely great game. So I picked up Kings of War 2nd Edition, and I was blown away by the by just finding the Warhammer Fantasy Battle game I had always wanted to play, but they had never wanted to sell me. You know yes, what I'm saying? Yes, I agree. And... Um like I said, I'm more of a sci-fi player myself, but I enjoy playing Kings of War because of its simplicity yet tactical nature of the game. Uh, what I didn't like about Fantasy Battle was, you know, you can take these big units, but they didn't play any real part of the game as other than being just distractions so you can get your multiple super powerful characters into play to wipe everything out. It was my experience with playing Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Yeah, I mean, I could sit here, I could go down the litany of the things that have kind of, like, alienated me from, you know, some of those particular games, but, um, I mean, all, all I have to say is that I never thought that I liked rank-and-flank fantasy games, and then um, I started watching Kings of War Battle Reports, and right now I'm so hyped. I just went out and I oh, I'm not going to name any crass numbers here, but I spent a <laughs> significant a significant amount of money putting together Varinger army uh, for Kings of War because it's it's the army I I always wanted to play and it plays the way I wanted to play it. I don't have to change the way that I do things to accommodate what the rules say. The rules back up what the army is supposed to be. And um I mean it's just so refreshing. And the balance, I, what really blows my mind when I'm when I engage with Mantic products is how well balanced everything is. Yeah, uh, I mean there's a, a lot of thought goes in. Uh we do use a what we call a rules committee which are a, a group of guys that are from the community 
and then they so basically when we we say we're community led we really are community led uh you know we let the guys sit, we'll use king's war for example there are five guys in that community they sit and they talk about we say all right this is what we want to do come up with something that you think is great that the community will like and that you think is balanced for the game so they come up with stuff then that comes back to us and we say well all right that looks good but i don't we don't like how this could possibly change the flow of the game rework that so it's kind of a hand in hand with with the community as how we create the rules in that sense and every game has a rules community and uh and we've been doing that model now for i want to say three years three four years now and it seems to be working really good you know one of the things that i love about mantic is that is is exactly you're talking about the the rules that you purchase are vetted um Everything that you see looks like it's been through a number of different iterations. Like, for instance, I was watching an old uh, Beasts of War, and it was them talking about the Warpath 2nd Edition rules, and they were kind of going through it. Now, at that point, I had already read the Warpath 2nd Edition rules, so it was sort of an older video. And they were talking about um, uh, an ability for a flyer to do a strafing run where it could just shoot at every single thing in a line. And I was like, I was like, I thought to myself, oh, that's that's so powerful. That's just so unbelievably powerful, right? But by the time, I, so I grab my book and I look in there and it's like you can shoot at one thing in that line because the, some playtesting had been done in the community to iron that out, right? Yeah, because uh, it did start out as that enforcer jet can, you just draw a straight line and whatever it crosses in that path gets shot at. Uh, and that was found to be a little too too crazy for the amount of points and everything. So they they they, they for the lack of a better term, nerfed it down to one unit. So and it's still an effective thing uh, because you know if, essentially if you're using a flyer to bomb something, you're just gonna you're gonna bomb the most powerful thing that you can at that point. Sure, or the more most tactically advantageous thing. Yes. Um, but I really love that because you know with other games. You hear them say, "Oh, we can't help it that our rules don't work. It's impossible to play test them. Uh, of course, we're going to play test it, the rules as much as we can, and then we're going to release it into the wild, and and then you guys are going to break them. It's your fault. That's what they always try and tell you, you yeah. know. <laughs> but then it's like you you do see uh, games." Game companies, Mantic in particular, with the connection to the community, listening to what the community has to say, and the rules that get released are crisp. You know, I yeah. mean, it's just is like it can't be done. Yeah, and you know, and then well, to play devil's advocate, because you know, not everything is a hundred percent, you know, welcomed by the community. But you know, for the most part, we 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 try our best, and uh, sometimes we have to make a hard decision. That's what's right for the game, as opposed to you know a handful of guys in that sense. Uh, but unfortunately, that happens very rarely. Or fortunately, it happens very rarely. I should say. <laughs> I I got you. I got you. <laughs> um. All right. So uh, let let me let me hit you with with this. Okay. So I go around and I start talking to some of my friends and I start saying things like, "Oh, you really should get into Mantic," and I get a couple like responses okay the one of them is oh their models aren't good dude like have you seen the models they're not good and another response i've gotten maybe less of is um yo i tried to get into mantic a year or so ago or two years or whatever a long time ago and a kickstarter like did not go well and i'm unhappy why would i get back into them now is there anything that you would want to say to people who are like harboring those feelings? Yeah, I mean, understandable. Uh, for the first, the first point, the models. Uh, again, when we go back to the beginning of Mantic, we were creating models that were affordable. I mean, uh, as a war game player back in the day, you understand how expensive the game was. Um, I mean, it know, still is. I mean, yeah, it's still it's a very expensive hobby. We're looking at the it, so we'll say. You know, at one point, they were almost ten bucks a model in a box, and you're only getting five models for the box. Uh, and so that was one of the things that Ronnie wanted to stop. Was like, here, I'm going to give you 
all these models and if you break it down price per price per item price per model it's going to come out to be about 80 90 even as high as a dollar a model uh, but then, you know, when, when you're trying to produce something that's very cost-effective, you have to kind of cut a little bit of corners. So in the beginning, the models weren't as great. And I'm not going to say they were horrible. Uh, they weren't as great as the competitors. But the competitors were also charging an arm and a leg. Uh, but when you're talking about putting an army out that consists of uh, 20 models for one unit, you know, that can get to be very expensive. So uh, one of the things, again... We were producing models uh, to be cost-effective, which means there were less pieces, so it wasn't as complicated as a build. So, you know, the poses were a little more static and stuff like that. So, uh, in the beginning, I can understand why they would say that. And then, but now you have to compare. We're ten years now in the line down the line. We've gotten better sculptors. We've are putting out better kits. You have to. You can't compare the model. From 10 years ago to the model now uh, and if you did you would see a stark a stark difference uh, and a lot of people when when I when that has come to me uh, they will say the same thing you're like yeah in the beginning you know your models were very affordable that's why I bought them uh, but you know I didn't use them all the time because they were kind of just okay but now the stuff that's coming out from you guys is really really good and I'm kind of excited to use those models now in my armies yeah, absolutely. Uh, for instance, the um, the plague uh, aberration lord or whatever. Yeah, the plague aberration. Like, like I I see him in like all types of armies across game systems because the model is just so beautiful. It's so iconic, and it just has such a presence on the board. You know. Yeah, we resculpted the Forge Fathers, so they look really good now. Uh, the Enforcers are better also. Uh, the only line that I'm kind of heartbroken that still hasn't gotten a revamp is the, the Marauders. But that being said, the, the Marauder models weren't weren't horrible to begin with, in my opinion. Uh, uh, I think they're pretty, pretty dang good. That's just me. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, so to answer, if anyone comes with that, that's usually my answer. is like, yeah, I understand where you come from, I, and I know why you feel that way. But that was ten, nine, ten years ago. Have you looked at the models now? Have you tried to see some of the kits that we have going on now? How how about the take on the Kickstarters? Like, what's your the Kickstarters is also very understandable because we have done a lot of Kickstarters in the past, and we've had a couple uh, kind of go sideways a little bit with late deliveries and stuff like that, and missing deadlines. Uh, we you know since fixed most of those problems. Uh, in the past, you know, when Kickstarters were started, it was hard to, to kind of get a handle and try to put a process together. But we've since fixed that. Uh, we have a, a very wonderful customer service. So if you still haven't received anything from your Kickstarter or what, you know, it's just an email or a phone call to customer service. And 99.9% .9 of the time, everything is fixed or sent Uh expeditiously you know like there are some people that will tell you that yeah this was missing from my kickstarter emailed them and then like three days later they sent me something and a little bit of extra um awesome yeah awesome right on yeah so i mean i get i get the feeling and there's just some people who don't like kickstarters to begin with and they uh but i you know my answer to people who just because they don't like mantic because we use kickstarters i've heard that too and it's not because they don't like the models or they don't they were burned they just don't like company uh, company using kickstarter um uh, it just it it takes a lot of money to set up a bunch of molds and everything so if you want lines of figures out in a timely manner you have to kickstart them or it's just going to take years upon years to get the capital to make the molds to get those lines out in a in a timely manner in a sense you know gw when people use it in a sense, GWs had 30, 30 plus years to get all their molds together. And, you know, they have all that back end capital to, to lean on. And they're also a public company now too. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some institutional advantages that they, that they've been able to kind of grow on. Right. Build yeah. on. And you know, like I said, Mantic is only a 10 year old company still. So in, in as far as the miniature game concerned, it's still, still a young, a young, a young company. 
Now, uh, for our role player listeners, um, Mantic's kind of moved into this new uh, new realm that I can see some people, some like other companies, are trying to kind of like occupy. It seems kind of like Dwarven Forge sort of built this market for like very detailed models to have on your table while you're doing role playing and so we've seen some more like affordable because i mean dwarven forge is so boutique so we've seen some more kind of affordable companies trying to break into that market and then just at this last gen con um uh mantic uh debuted the terrain crate uh fantasy line uh do you want to tell our role playing listeners about that sure terrain crate I guess is a product of Gen Con. I can tell you this story. Uh, we uh, many years ago we we produced a game called Dungeon Saga, which is if you were an old uh, Milton Bradley Hero Quest player, uh, if Qu- Hero Quest had a baby, it would be Dungeon Saga. And in that s- set, you got a bunch of figures, and and if you don't know what Hero Quest is, or dungeon, it's a dungeon crawler tile-based game where you play out a map. You play out scenarios, and you just kind of move your fingers to the dungeon. Uh, but in that set of Dungeon Saga, you got a set of doors and tables and a little bit of terrain and all that stuff, which we sold uh, in little package. Not very expensive. 20 bucks, you know, you can get like eight, uh, 10 doors um, of various types. Uh, there was in, It's not just doors. And furniture, a furniture pack where you got tables, chests, uh amongst other things and then so we had that pack at gen con and then uh, as you know gen con is primarily a board game slash role-playing convention uh people would come by the booth they'd look around they'd be like oh what is this is this all doors what just all all you get all this in this box <laughs> we're like yeah it's great furniture you know and me being an old role player i go it's perfect for your your D game you know you draw your map out you put the door right there on the vinyl map uh, things like that. You got a table, so it adds a little bit. If you're using uh, Pathfinder figures or anything for a D&D game, anyways, it just gives you that extra 3D element to your game. Uh, and so after that first Gen Con where we got that and we sold out on all our tra- little train packs, we literally had just doors and furniture. Wow! And oh, then, that's a trip. Yeah. So I'm talking with Ronnie. I go, Ronnie, we need to do more. This is for this show. I mean, this is all for role player games. And I think all I did was sell them to role-player games. I didn't sell any to any miniature game guys. Uh, so then, you know, with that, we became... Ronnie was like, all right, yeah, I see what you're saying. And he walked around, looked at the booths, see what people were putting out as far as things like... Like you said, Dwarven Forge, things like that, and the price point. So we're like, all right. Uh, so then a, a year and a half later, we put or a year, the next year, we put out the Kickstarter for Terrain Crate, uh, which is right now basically a fantasy terrain box box set. Uh, what is out right now is what we call the dungeon, the dungeon. And in that, you get various dungeon things like a wizard study, a torture chamber, a dark lord's tower, traps, doors, different dragon hordes, things like that. And what we have coming in November is going to be a battlefield set and a town set. And those will then have stuff for battlefield, which like it will have tents, campfires, fences, weapon racks, things like that. And in the oh, town... Oh, man. Yeah, and in the town, you're going, I, to get, you're going to get a tavern, you're going to get a, a smith, you're going to get horse you're going to get a market, which has... which <laughs> I only noticed this at, uh, at Gen Con on the painted set. There's a, a table in the butcher that's got like carved ham and fish on it. Ah, oh, dude. I okay. So I didn't even understand that. I was talking with uh, Ronnie at Mantic Night, and he was talking about um, Vanguard, which is the Kings of War like skirmish level game that's yes. coming out in like say October, right? Uh, yeah, I think we're looking to September shipping now. Uh, we're doing almost a month and a half early oh. uh, shipping for that Kickstarter. So Kickstarter should get theirs in September. Uh, should uh, you know I, again we're never going to say 100% because you never know what China uh, but then it should be in retail by October 
Oh, that that see that's great. See, you know, you get yeah. you get you get better at the Kickstarters. There's lots of companies that have had like some kind of rough starts when Kickstarter was like a new platform, and they have kind of figured out how that model works. Yeah, you know? and, I, and I won't lie, we did have some rough spots and things like that. But some of it's also on the manufacturing end. Some of it's on the the shipping and the getting things ready to ship, uh, and that's on our end. Um, but yeah, with the Kickstarter that's coming with Vanguard, you'll get a part, most of the stuff that comes in the Battlefield line. Oh, that's amazing. Because he was explaining about how those pieces will, for, for Terrain Crate, would have um, value on the, the field while you're playing the game. So instead of using kind of like a bunch of plastic chits or acrylic tokens that you're kind of like used to, like all of the uh, narrative mi- goals of the missions and the scenarios would center around these pieces of terrain. Yep, one of them is a uh, a pyre uh, that you have to break the enemy lines to light so you can signal your army. And the way Vanguard's supposed to work, well, not supposed to work, but w- can work, is that you play this scenario with your friends, you get to say you get the beacon light, then your army in Kings of War is going to get an extra... 250 points to add to your army because you were able to light the beacon to warn them. See, okay. All right. So, so we're going to kind of close on the terrain crate. That's a great opportunity for role players to enhance their dungeons, yeah, but it also has this go go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. With terrain crate just to be clear. It is a heroic 28 scale. If you're a miniature player, you'll know what that means. So basically, it'll work on 1-inch squares, which is the standard for most role-playing games, and most of those figures that you get uh, are what we call a 28 mil fig, and so they will all be interactive with anything that comes out of Terrain Crate because that's what it's based on. Perfect, and that makes it like uh, easily compatible with like anything that Pathfinder is doing or those yes. Whiz Kids models. And then you can even use it with uh, if you're using models from from a different company that makes a miniatures game line because most of those go from like usually started about 28 millimeter, right? Yeah, and then the standard standard grid for most of the, the, the stuff being made by like Forge or even Hearst Molds are a one-inch square, so. Perfect, perfect. Now, what I kind of wanted to get to was uh, the way that Vanguard is going to integrate seamlessly with Kings of War, and it's the same with uh, Dead Zone that kind of graduates into Warpath Firefight, which graduates into Warpath, right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, so one of the great things that we do at Mantic and I love is that uh, we have what we call model interchangeability. So if you invest a little bit of money in, say, Dungeon Saga, you can then take those models and you can put them in Vanguard because they will have stats, they'll have a place in that skirmish army, and that skirmish army will also then have stats and a place in Kings of War. Uh, so you are never just putting money in this game and not being able to use it in this game. Uh, that goes across all lines. Dungeon Saga to Kings to Vanguard to Kings War. We go to the sci-fi side, you got Star Saga, which can go to Dead Zone, which is going to go into Warpath Firefight, which then goes into uh, Warpath proper. And the best thing about that is then that's a great way to start your army. Uh, if you're looking at a cost-effective way of starting... Uh, we'll use a sci-fi site, for example. Star Saga, basically the stuff you get in that Star Saga core set is basically a faction starter, uh, the Maison Labs faction starter for Dead Zone. Uh, then once you get all that together, then that faction, that starter, can then you can take those 8 to 10 models and you can put them and th- that will be a unit in Firefight. And Firefight's usually... if. Uh, three or two, anywhere from two to four units. And then you take those two to four units in Warpath Firefight, and those become one squad in uh, Warpath, which then is also comprised of anywhere from three to five squads. See, I mean, that scalability is just, is just so sweet because when you're collecting one game, you're actually collecting like three games, yeah, four games. Exactly. And that also is a real boon to players and collectors who value um, painted models on the table. You know, 
because it's such a pain in the ass when you're starting out and you're really excited and you're like, oh, well, I got to paint 100 models it's tough. before I can play. <laughs> it's tough know? and daunting. I get it. Right? Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's you know, if you start off with, like, a much smaller game, then all of a sudden it's like, look, I got to paint 10 models to get them on the table. And then next thing you know, I only have to paint 10 more models to to play on this game. Exactly. And so, exactly. And I, I and I love that. And I think I don't know if a lot of people realize that's uh, that are outside of Mantic realize that's kind of what you can do when you buy any one of the sets of the games that we have. Um, and that was all done purposely. Nice, nice. Now, um, over here in Phoenix, we are going to be getting started a group for uh, the Warpath Universe game uh, Dead Zone. And uh, there's a summer campaign in the tradition of awesome summer campaigns that just got released for Dead Zone. Do you want us to tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, so this summer is the summer of Dead Zone. Every summer we are running a campaign for a, a system run. Last year it was Kings of War. Uh, to update everyone, with the Kings of War scenario, summer scenario, uh, it kind of it changes the storyline. So, uh, And we changed the map. There was so I think Basilia was able to we were able to ward off the the abyss, so the demons rising up and taking over. Basilia was able to stem some of that, but I think the northern guys were able to melt the glacier, which then flooded into the the fissure, which stopped the flow of demons coming out. <laughs> so part of the north has been melted. Nice. Yeah. And uh, we're looking to do the same thing with Dead Zone this year. It's going to be centered around a planet. Uh, called Starfall. That starts on August 20th, officially. Uh, there'll be a website. You go in, you create your your profile. Uh, every week, we're going to release a scenario. You play the scenario, and you record your results. Now, you don't have to just play the scenario to record your results. You can play whatever games you want, uh, because it's going to be we're going to it's going to be based on who, which factions win what. Uh, during that week. The first scenario is going to be located at the Command Post Delta on the planet of Starfall. It'll be a GCPS-based scenario in that sense. Uh, so when that happens, we'll record for the week, and then however the things play out will then dictate what will happen for the next campaign and what happens to the planet. Awesome. And then uh, what happens for the planet then will dictate what happens in the... Uh, the Warpath, because there is a Warpath campaign free supplement that's out uh, that you can use with for the Battle for Starfall, which is just centered around the planet of Starfall. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, available on the Mantic webpage, right? Yes. So, uh, very excited. You know, it's I'm all I'm all for these giant uh, worldwide campaigns where everyone gets to play games and do the figure out the outcome of the whatever thing, and then this will also just like we did with the Kings of War. Well, then we'll dictate what happens in the Dead Zone universe. And I'm really excited because uh, a game of Dead Zone takes like 40 minutes, you know, like maybe an hour if you're really grinding it, right? Yeah, easy, easily 45. If you're an hour, uh, then someone's either slow playing you or you guys are taking a break drinking beers. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we should be able to get a lot of games in, which I'm really excited about. Um so, is there any way that you would recommend people who are like new to Mantic or new to Dead Zone get involved uh, now or with the summer campaign? Oh, definitely. Uh, so, Dead Zone is a fairly easy game to learn. Uh, just like any of our rule sets, they're all very easy to learn, easy to teach. Uh, and I will quote, for example, a coach who is uh, very big in the Dead Zone community out of uh, Long Island, New York. Uh, just ran a, uh, uh, a tournament, Conquest with Titan, out there in Long Island, and he literally had four brand-new players uh, come and play their very first game during the tournament, which is unheard of in any kind of tournament play. That's but unheard because, of. Because where Dids and Works, it's very easy. And, you know, our community in most of our tournaments are very, very welcoming. And so, you know, no one's afraid to say, oh, hey, you might not want to do that. You know, because I can do this. This guy has this power and can do that to your guy. Uh, giving little tips while they play in a tournament, uh, which I think is great. 
but because they're able to read the rules before they come in and get a basic understanding of the game, uh, the only thing they have to learn now is just the strategy. They didn't, none of them, I'm not saying any of them won the tournament. One did get uh, top five, though, out of ten. So if you have a basic, yeah. if you have a basic strat, uh, strat, strategical understanding, strategical, is that even a word? A strategic <laughs> understanding, it's not hard to do okay in your first game of Dead Zone if you've never played it before. I mean, that's still great. I mean that is still great to just be able to just walk in and just start playing in a tournament. Yeah. You know, and that that le- leads to a much more kind of like fun environment for tournament play. I agree. Uh, and that's just kind of, you know, that's one of the things why I don't play a lot of tournaments anymore because they they stop being fun at that point, you know? No, I f- I feel you 100%. 100%. Now, um so we're 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 running a little bit low on time here. So uh, I just want to get this uh, story about um, about you contributing to the Marauder faction. Oh. Tell tell <laughs> tell us tell us what was your input, man. Well, you know, so when we were talking about doing Warpath, and then Ronnie had come to me. We were sitting at a, I think we were even eating dinner, or maybe we were just having drinks. And he goes, yeah. He goes, maybe it's time to do sci-fi, you know, because Kings of War was doing so well. I said, well, if you're going to do sci-fi, you got to bring back, and I used the word, he said, you have to bring back squats, and you're going to have to bring back trikes. And, yes. And so that's why we have Forge Fathers. Well, Which first I of all, and yeah, I love, by the way. Ronnie is and a dwarf I- player, so he was all over it when I said, you need to bring back squats. Awesome. Uh, and then I go, and if you're going to bring back squats because you're a dwarf player, then you need to bring in orcs. And I said, if you bring back orcs, you need to make them different. You can't make them stupid, and you can't make them look kind of junky. You know, you need to make them look like an army. And so that's why orcs have the storyline they do in Warpath and Dead Zone, and that's kind of why they get that little materialistic uniform look, so they look like an army. And um, every time I interact with a Marauders player – from uh, Warpath U, that's always the first thing they say. They go, you know, the orcs in this game aren't stupid, and I love that. Yeah, and they're, they're um, very tactical geniuses. Mm-hmm. I is, mean, that's one of their abilities, tactical genius. Exactly, and that's why I think everyone hates their splat. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the way they play. I love watching them play. They're yeah. it's the, they're really fun just to watch. Uh, and then it, that's great because it sounds to me like I also owe you for my Forge Fathers. Um, I just fell in love with those models. They're the new sculpts, like you were saying, and they're so great. I actually play in a Rogue Trader game using Rogue Trader rules, and uh, I started playing squats down there. And my friend who who plays squats was like, "What are those models?" I'm like, "These are <laughs> these are these are uh, they're they're called Forge Fathers, but they're like squats." And he looked at him and he goes, "These are better than than the old squats." Yeah, and the I was old like, squats "Yes, look like weebles." <laughs> um, I just think they're such great models. Uh, I, I friggin' love them. Now I'm going to be at Adepticon 2019 this year, as it turns out. I'm very excited. This is my first Adepticon. Are you guys going to be out there? Oh yeah, Adepticon and Gen Con are are two biggest cons, and Adepticon is usually where we run all our national championships. So, ooh, get your practice up for Dead Zone. Oh, dude, I am gonna be practicing. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna be rocking up, fully painted and ready to play. Um, what, I, I imagine there'll be packets available, tournament packets. Yeah, as, as Adepti- the approaches. Ad- yeah, Adepticon. Actually, I send them into Adepticon and they format them with their logos and all that stuff, and they actually have it online uh, for download on their website once the once the packets are all formatted and everything. So. Wonderful. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. In the meantime, we're going to have uh, Dead Zone Summer Campaign here in Phoenix, Arizona, the Phoenix metro area. We're going to be playing at Games U on Thursday nights starting at 5. And we'll just be there playing games until either we just can't take it anymore or they close up the shop. Um, and that's a six-week campaign, right? That is correct. And, okay, great. And anyone listening, and if you're on the fence about wanting to get a miniature game, and you're in the Phoenix area, go to Game U. Brian and Brendan, great guys. And like I said, we had new players come to a tournament, had a great time, learned a lot. You can come to the campaign fresh, and someone will show you how to play. 
and you'll grasp the rules fairly easy. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. I mean, I think it's an easy game to pick up, but very difficult to master. Like, um, you'll be playing in no time and then discovering the the different levels of play very quickly. Yeah, uh, you got to find your synergies. Exactly, and we'll have a lot of extra models available for people who want to play different things. But but just like Pat was saying, if you are in the Phoenix area. You want to get involved in some miniatures gaming? Come down. We're going to be very happy to see you, very excited to see you. That will be starting on Thursday, the 22nd, Games U, 5 p.m. See you there. And um, I've just talked, I talked to Pat before the game, before the show that we are doing right now started, and there will be prize support for the, um, for the winner of the campaign, not just for Best General but also for best painted. So we're going to really be trying to emphasize hobby, emphasize fun. Please feel free to join us. Definitely. Now, uh, is there any, anything that you want to drop like in terms of where people can get at you or get at Mantic before we go? Yeah, just uh, go to the Facebook pages. Basically we are, we post uh, a ton of things on the Mantic uh, website as long with the Mantic North America events page uh, we have a quarterly podcast, Mantic North America, that we talk about uh, upcoming things. If you go to the Freebooters Network, there's a Mantic radio that I do. It's a short 30 to a minute hour podcast that we talk about people in the community, new releases, things that are coming out. Oh, uh, I don't know that one. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, the Freebooters Network is a, a little different because it's a conglomerate of, like right now, 15, 16 different podcasts. So... It's one feed, so you just kind of have to filter and look for the Mantic North America or Mantic Radio one. Mm, okay, perfect, perfect. Now, um, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Well, thank I you know for having that, me. Oh, dude, this has been so great. I know I started this off saying like, oh, this this one may be a short one, and here we are, just went into miniature gamer talk mode, <laughs> and it's been almost an hour. It was, it, was, love- it was a lot of stories is what it was. Well, I love talking miniatures, man, and it's so great to talk to miniatures with you and to um, just be involved in the Mantic community. Uh, thank you so much for everything that you're doing to make uh, Mantic available to us here in Phoenix. Well, I look forward to having you on again sometime soon, and if I don't, if I don't this year, then I'll see you at Adepticon, I'll all right? See you definitely at Adepticon. I'll be there almost every year. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thanks again. Have a good night. All right, Brendan. Thanks for listening, cultists, and thanks to Pat for coming on. Pat and Mantic Entertainment, again, have hooked us up in a big way. They've got this brand new Dead Zone Veermin faction starter. If you want to play some Space Skaven, if we're going to be cheeky about it, we got the brand new faction starter to hook up one lucky Phoenix area listener, get them started in Dead Zone. So if you're interested in coming out and playing with us, Games U, Thursday the 23rd, 5 p.m., get at me. We're going to have ways to win on Instagram and on Facebook. Check there. Then, at the end of the campaign, we're going to have more prizes. We have a prize for best general, meaning the best wins, okay? And then we have a prize for best hobby. So we're going to be looking at fully painted armies. Somebody's going to get a prize. We've already got some prizes ready for you guys. We're super stoked to get started. We'll see you Thursday. Come on down. Check the Instagram. Check the Facebook follow boom win an army all right great see you fools there